Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode 19. Today I'm going to talk about my struggles with filming in the outdoor industry, and I think that this is going to be not just a, a, a personal podcast uh, with things that have gone on with, with me and filming in the outdoor world, but it's also a podcast that I think uh, might hit home with many of the people that follow this podcast or that follow me on the Filming with Josh page. So if you have done any video work in the outdoor industry, this podcast is for you. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. So I'm gonna see if I can uh, get through this podcast today. I'm uh, really supposed to be in the woods in a tree stand right now, um, but I have the flu. My wife got the flu um, right before Christmas, kind of really came down with it on Christmas Eve uh, and got pretty sick Christmas Eve night and was pretty sick on Christmas Day. And when I asked the, uh, the doctor, when I took her to the doctor, um, what I could do to avoid getting it, he basically said, it's too late, dude, you're screwed. And uh, <laughs> turns out he was right. I thought I had, uh, I thought I had beaten it, but it turns out I um, did not, <laughs> and it caught up with me. Uh, so I tried, I tried going hunting uh, yesterday, uh, but man, about an hour or so before sunset, I just couldn't do it anymore. I started getting the shakes, and I just started feeling bad. And I already kind of knew I was sick, but it really hit me at that point. And I was like, man, I'm a long way in here. <laughs> I've got to take my stand out with me. Uh, this is not going to be fun. So I just called it and packed out and came home. Um, it was funny because I was joking with my friends before I went on the hunt. I said, I'm going to be like MJ in the finals uh, when he had the flu. And I was going to go in and, and do this hunt and, and uh, be super successful with the flu. But it turns out I am apparently not as strong as MJ. <laughs> Uh, I came home and I had like a 100.2 degree fever and I was like, man, it's a good thing I left when I did. That would have been uh, brutal. I, I got to tell you about this hunt I'm on. Um, this year I applied for, I think it was like 37 public land hunts in Texas. A lot of people don't realize how rich the public hunting in Texas is. Um, is it as good as some other states? No, but it's pretty dang good. And there's a lot of public land opportunities that you can just show up on um, and hunt. And there are other public land opportunities that you can go on if you uh, get drawn. And you just have to know about it and have to apply for it. And uh, a lot of people don't know about these drawn hunts. I mean, there's all kinds of drawn hunts. You can draw a hunt for alligator. You can draw a hunt for um, nilgai, whitetail, mule deer. There's even an elk hunt you can uh, put in a draw for. Um, all kinds of exotics, just anything you could think of, waterfowl, turkey, it's amazing. And so this past year, I, I applied for 37 hunts this summer, me and some of my friends did, because um, a lot of the hunts, so there's a few hunts you can only apply for as an individual, uh, but most hunts you can apply for as a group, and the majority of the group hunts, you can apply for a group of up to four, and if you, if you guys get drawn, your whole group is drawn. And... It's pretty awesome. And so I put in for 37 hunts and I got drawn for three. Um, one was a two-day waterfowl hunt in West Texas at Copper Break State Park. It was amazing. Uh, me and uh, two of my friends entered that. And so we got drawn and we showed up 
And it's a good drive. I mean, it's like, for me, it's about five hours. Um, it's about three hours west of Fort Worth. And we showed up in the middle of nowhere. And Copper Break State Park is gorgeous. Never been there. Never even heard of it. And we showed up. And it's like this canyon in the middle of nowhere. And it's absolutely gorgeous and chock full of wildlife. They have Audad and whitetail hunts there that I applied for that I did not get drawn for. Um, I think I applied for rifle and archery. Um, and then they had waterfowl. And so the waterfowl draw hunt only happens uh, over a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it's just once a year. And it's only for people who get drawn. And for this particular place, they were drawing for, I think, four groups of up to four. So they were allowing up to 16 hunters. And we showed up. It's about 2,000 acres. Uh, the whole park is. And there's a big lake and a smaller they call it the small pond or a big pond, but it's like a smaller lake. Um, and then some small ponds throughout. And uh, it turns out the big pond was actually a roost and the ducks were leaving the roost and going out to the smaller ponds and the big pond uh, during the morning. So you could have, uh, and there's also a stretch of river there too you could hunt. So you could have birds just pouring in your lap in the morning time. Uh, pretty amazing, but it's a Friday. You show up on a Friday and you go through orientation and then you go scout and then you hunt Saturday morning and Sunday morning. So it's just, you're really only hunting for two days. Um, but we wanted to go, we thought it'd be a lot of fun. And uh, my two friends had never waterfowl hunted. I'm an avid waterfowl hunter. So I was stoked to teach them about waterfowl hunting and we show up and uh, nobody else shows up for orientation. And we're like, what the heck? It was the strangest thing. And come to find out, um, we were the only people who have shown up for that hunt in three years, which is really weird because people put in for it. Um, God, this is so strange. So we're just like, wow, this is crazy. And you can show up as a standby hunter too. And, and what standby is, is if, uh, if they have some extra spots available, like people don't show, um, then as a standby hunter, you can get in the hunt. And if more standby hunters show up, then spots are available. They'll just draw from the standby hunters, but you have a good shot at getting drawn. But man, there wasn't even any standby hunters. We were literally the only people who have shown up, us three, in three years. So they went through this little small orientation with us and basically gave us the combination to the gate because they shut the state park down just for this hunt. And they're like, hey, you got 200 campsites and all 2,000 acres to yourself. Have at it. We're just like, are you kidding me? Like, is this real? <laughs> and it was just, oh man, it was an incredible time. We camped, we shot ducks, cooked out every night. It was just so much fun. Even bought a sandhill crane. I'd never bought a sandhill crane tag, but this place is full of sandhill cranes. We bought sandhill crane tags and there's geese there. It was a lot of fun. So that was one of the hunts I got drawn for. Uh, another one was an archery whitetail hunt. It was a 10 day hunt down in East Texas. Um, it was right before I was going to Alaska for my uh, second time this year, which is for a no November, uh, three weeks doing November goat hunts. Um, and, and it was just photography. But the hunt fell like right before I went to Alaska and I had a job I had to get done before I went to Alaska. So I wasn't able to hunt, but like a day and a half of that 10 day hunt, archery hunt, but that me and one of my friends got drawn for. But uh, it was awesome. We found a place... Um, in September that had uh, a funnel point that, with a field in it. And uh, there was like a private field on one end of the funnel point and uh, a field that was on public land on the other end of the funnel point. And so we hunted the point that connected the two. Um, and nobody else on that got drawn for this hunt hunted that in that area. We were the only ones. And we saw 26 deer in a, set in, in a, a day and a half. 
So three sets, uh, pretty freaking incredible. We passed on everything, uh, but I'm pretty sure, and it was early season hunt. I think it was like the second weekend of, se of the season. So I'm pretty sure if we had put more time in it and were able to hunt more, we probably could have killed some, killed some nice deer. Um, but to see 26 deer, and I, I, let me say this, it's not, we didn't just see 26 deer. We had 26 deer come within bow range. And we, we didn't, we brought stands with us, but we didn't want to pack them into this funnel point because it's kind of a hike in. So we uh, went in the first morning after we scouted it the day prior, we went in the first morning really early and built a brush blind and sat in this brush blind. And my friend's never really, he'd never hunted public land before. And my friend Hayden hadn't. And uh, he was like, dude, this is no way this is going to work. Like this brush blind, no way. <laughs> but we had deer come within like six yards of us. And he was just like floored. So even though we didn't kill anything, it was an incredible experience to have that many deer on public land come within 30 yards or less, many of them coming within like six to 10 yards, all with it, you know, with just a brush blind between us and them. That was a lot of fun. So, um, and it was an incredible experience. So that was my second draw hunt. But now the one I'm on right now is my third draw hunt. And this one's really special. It started in the middle of October and goes all the way through the end of season, which is January 5. So you have all season and you can kill up to four deer and it's just outside of Austin. Um, and I live south of Austin, so this is about, it's about an hour and 25 minute drive from my house to where I'm hunting. Um, but it, it's an incredible public land hunt. Um, I've read online, it's one of the most sought after public land hunts in Texas, and it's pretty hard to get drawn for. And this is my first year applying for it, and I got drawn my first time, which is pretty amazing. And uh, I, they drew 40 hunters total, and when we showed up for orientation, there was about 300 people standing there for standby, if that tells you anything, uh, trying to get in because there was a word that there was going to be a couple standby spots available. Um, but 40 hunters sounds like a lot, but it's 11,000 acres and there's a lake in the middle, Granger Lake. And uh, it's archery only and you can shoot three does and one buck. But the catch is you have to kill two does before you earn your buck tag. And guys, let me tell you, that is a lot harder to do than it sounds. Public land at a state park where they don't close down the park. So you still have people that are pig hunting. You have people that are waterfowl hunting. And you have hikers, horseback riders, and stuff everywhere. Um, and so you're having to deal with all that, plus 40 other hunters. And you have to smack two does to earn your buck tag. And wouldn't you know it, right after orientation, I left for Alaska. And so when I came back, I took a week off to start hunting there and I called it my rutcation because it was in the middle of the rut. But the problem <laughs> is that I'm hunting for does during the middle of the rut. <laughs> it was hard and it killed me. And uh, for a week straight, I saw more deer than I can even possibly count. It was incredible. And what really blew me away was the first like my first two hunts, I didn't see anything. And so I moved my stand to an area that I, I had kind of been saving for when I had my buck tag. But I was like, man, it doesn't matter if I don't get my does down first. So I decided to go ahead and move into that area. And my very first set, I saw uh, my first evening, I saw, I don't even know, it was like 20 something deer. And I had a really nice shooter come in. And then of course I had to pass on him because I didn't have my buck tag. And then off in the distance, about 170 yards away, was a mid 150s just 
monster. It was shorter time, a little bit shorter time, but tons and tons of mass. He was a nine point, super, super wide, like 21 inches wide. Um, and when I say shorter times, they're not like short, but considering how wide his rack was, they just weren't ridiculously tall. But he's like a mid 150s, just heavy, heavy deer, real wide, just beautiful nine point. And I ended up seeing him three sets in a row, same place, same time. It killed me. <laughs> I ended up smacking a doe, um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm on the board. I gotta, I had, you, you can't stay and hunt. Once you shoot your doe, you have to go check it in to earn your second doe tag. I mean, the whole thing really frustrated me. Um, so I got my doe down, and I kept hunting, and I kept seeing deer, but oh my gosh, I kept seeing bucks. It was like, <laughs> that never is the case. You usually always see does and never bucks, but this is like, I always see bucks, and I never saw does, and the does I did see were like rarely coming in. In fact, the one I shot, I only shot it because I had a doe decoy out, and a buck was chasing this doe around my tree at like 10 30 in the morning one morning, and he chased her out in front of my decoy, and she stopped to check it out, and I smacked her, um, heart shot at her, it was great, but uh, man, it's crazy, just buck, 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 but hardly any does. So I've been going back and forth whenever I can and trying to make time to go back there and try to shoot my second doe. And I've, I just haven't gotten it done yet. But I, I, now this is the killer. I, after my rutcation was over, before Christmas came, I wanted to spend another you know two, three days hunting to try to get my second doe down uh, because I had heard from someone else that that mid-150s was still walking around. And I was like, man, I've got to get in there and kill that deer. So I went in, in, in a new area to see if I could get a doe really quick. And when I was in there, guys, I'm not exaggerating you. I promise you, I promise you, I swear on my own grave that I saw a 160. And I went back in that same area and I saw him again like 10 more times. And I know it sounds stupid. I, I have a hard time like even saying that to you because it just doesn't sound real, but it's real. So I have seen a mid 150s and a buck that I think breaks 160 for sure. And two different areas of this public land hunt, I've seen both bucks numerous times and I freaking can't kill either one of them because I don't have my second doe down. It is driving me insane. I'm at the point now where I'm like willing to pay to go on some high fence place and just shoot a doe and say I shot it there. <laughs> of course, I wouldn't really do that because um, I try to be ethical, but I'm telling you, I have never been more tempted to poach in my life. So <laughs> um, that's what I've been up to. So that's why yesterday I knew I had the flu, but I was like, man, I got to get this other doe down because I know of these two bucks and I keep seeing them. And so I went in yesterday, even though I didn't feel well, and I was like, I'm going to get in here. I'm going to get my doe. And um, I just couldn't do it, guys. I could not do it. I'm no Michael Jordan, so I ended up leaving. And uh, today I'm just trying to recoup. I'm running out of time. My season is over on Sunday, and I am getting pretty freaked out because <laughs> I have very little time left to get this done. But I've been praying hard every night, and my fingers are crossed, and I'm going to do my best to make this thing happen. This though, my as you can see, has been a really big part of my fall slash early winter. I've been hunting a lot. And a lot of people that follow me on Filming with Josh, that follow this podcast, or that are on the Filming with Josh page, know me as Josh, the video producer. Um, but a lot of people don't know me as Josh, the hunter. And First and foremost, I am a hunter. I was a hunter first before I ever picked up a camera. I've been hunting um, since I was a teenager, really since I was a kid. Um, and I got my first BB gun and I started shooting chi-chi birds in the backyard. Um, 
And I qualify that as hunting because I hunted them down. But I've been hunting basically my whole life. And I didn't really get into uh, deer hunting till I was 16 because I just didn't have a place to go. Um, but my uh, ex-brother-in-law took me hunting uh, on a private piece of property and I shot a doe my first morning when I was 16 and I was hooked. And when I went to college, half the reason I chose the college I went to, Stephen F. Austin State University, uh, was because there's so much public land there and uh, really good public land hunting. Um, and so I, I really fell in love with deer hunting even more when I got to college and um, became a really big bow hunter. And uh, that, that's been my biggest passion is bow hunting. Um, but along the way, I, I picked up a camera and started filming some of my hunts. And that is kind of what made me fall in love with filming. And I, I launched a career in that. And so I have two really big passions. And, and one of my passions is hunting, uh, particularly bow hunting, but I'll hunt period. Like I love waterfowl hunting. I love bow hunting. And uh, you give me a rifle and I'll go hunt with it too. So I like to hunt just in general. And obviously I love videography. I love the tech. I love um, the technique and I love teaching people about what I've learned and so like I have two really big passions and I wanted to find a way to morph those passions together uh, as many of you that follow this podcast probably also have done and so when I was in college I started filming my own hunts which led to me filming a couple other people's hunts which led to me getting a full-time job as a video producer for Keith Warren uh, here in Central Texas. And so I've been filming hunts uh, for a long time now. And when I started working with Keith, I got my first uh, experience in television production and my career uh, really took off at that point. And so I've been filming, filming in the hunting space for a long time. And I've always also done non-outdoor stuff. Um, I, one of my very first projects I ever sold was to um, my university, Stephen F. Austin State University. I did a, uh, a pretty expensive job for the College of Business to, um, to promote it and to help increase recruitment. And in fact, it's funny because that was years ago. I don't know. I think I did that video in like 2013 slash 2014. And uh, the dean that hired me is now the interim dean at Louisiana Lafayette and is just now in the process of hiring me to do a video for... Uh, the College of Business of Louisiana Lafayette. So it's funny how that's come full circle. But I've been doing non-outdoor videos for a long time as well. But for the very first part of my career, the bulk of my work, like 90% of it was outdoor related. Um, all the way up through when I was working with Keith. And even when I was working with Keith Warren, I still did some non-outdoor projects on the side. But most of my work up to that point was still still outdoor related, even though I was doing some non-outdoor stuff. Um, but when I left Keith in 2015 to start Rustic River Media, which will be uh, five years old this year in July, I really started doing a lot of non-outdoor work at that time. But what I wanted to do at this point is talk about how my love for filming and my love for hunting and how I tried to combine them and what ended up happening and why I uh, have struggled with it um, for a long time now. And I feel like some of you might be able to relate to this or at least parts of this um, because 
a lot of people that follow this this uh, podcast are hunters who love to film. And so you probably can relate to this to some degree, if not to the full extent of what I'm going to talk about. Um, but some of the things that have been a struggle for me, um, the first one is when I started, when I started filming hunts, I quit hunting, you know, um, you spent so much time behind the camera and less time behind the bow or behind the gun or whatever. Uh, and I got new opportunities that I never would have had um, to, to hunt that I never would have had, had I not had followed this career. Like I got to shoot my first black bear with a bow, uh, in Canada with Keith, uh, having full body mount in my living room. I got to shoot a nice, uh, Saskatchewan whitetail and I went back and shot a nice, another nice black bear and didn't end up finding him, but I still shot one. And those are experiences I never would have had, but those are like the only hunting experiences I did have because the rest of the time I was behind the camera. And um, a lot of you that pursue the filming industry on the outdoor side of things do it because you want to be in the outdoors. And I do too. But I've learned over the years, and sorry if there's a lot of background noise because I'm not supposed to be here today. I was supposed to be hunting. So um, my parents are coming in tonight. My wife and sister-in-law are like cleaning up the house, but that's a story for another day. Um, but I've learned over the years that as much as I love being in the woods and I love filming hunting related things, I do still want to hunt myself and not just, uh, and I'm not talking about like someone give me a bow. Now it's my turn to shoot. Um, but actually hunt, because there's a massive difference, right? Uh, some of you may have gotten opportunities. Maybe you're out filming uh, with an outdoor television show like I did with Keith, and you got an opportunity to get behind, uh, the, get in front of the camera and, and uh, climb a tree stand and shoot a deer. But how much hunting were you actually doing? You're mainly filming, and then you get an opportunity uh, to, to do some hunting. But to me, the hunting is less about the kill and more about the journey to get there. Um, like that hunt I did in uh, my first draw hunt of the year when I did the, the day and a half of uh, archery whitetail hunting for that public land hunt with my buddy Hayden, that going in and finding that pinch point, that funnel point, and uh, scouting the area on aerial maps, scouting the area on the foot, and finding that point and getting in there, finding a way to get in there quietly, building a brush blind, setting up, and then having 26 deer come in, even though we didn't shoot one, that, that is hunting. That is me getting to take on and be a part of the hunting experience. When I film in the outdoors, I'm not doing that. I might offer some advice. I might help. Sometimes I might put the camera down and might help figure out a strategy on how we can get something done. But the vast majority of everything I'm doing is content creation. I'm thinking about what do we need to say? How do we need to say it? Where do we need to shoot at? Um, what's going to be the next step in this storyline? What does the editor need? You know, trying to check mark, check off all these check boxes that I have in my phone. And you spend more time doing that than you're actually quote hunting. And so I, I ended up losing a lot of my um, hunting experiences. And because a lot of my work was in the outdoor hunting space, I was doing this I mean, nonstop. So I constantly was in the woods um, filming and not in the woods hunting. And that was, a, that was a hard thing for me. And not at first, because at first, like, wow, I get to travel and go on all these hunts, mule deer, elk. Um, I've been into all these different countries hunting in uh, Pakistan and Mongolia and Mexico and in Alaska numerous times and all over Canada and all over the Midwest and Africa and you name it, I've been there. But how much hunting was I really doing? So that was, that was something that I, uh, I started to struggle with. And then on top of that, the next struggle was the whole economic side of it. Um, 
if you're in the video world, you know how expensive it is. And the deeper you get into it, the more expensive it gets. And you end up wrapping 50, 60, 70, I'm over $100,000 in, in equipment now. And I'm not afraid to say that because this, um, this podcast is about teaching um, video stuff or talking about video stuff. And so I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm op- open about that. And I'm, I'm deep now. <laughs> I've got a lot invested in this because this is my career. It's no different than someone who opens a restaurant and has to buy, uh, maybe rent a building and buy ovens and buy equipment and all this stuff. Like this is my investment to my career. So you put a lot of money in it, but in the outdoor world, how much of that money do you actually recoup back? The problem is, and, and this is, I'm not trying to knock the outdoor industry, but just the, in general, it just doesn't pay well. There are some things in the outdoor industry uh, in certain circumstances and certain companies that do pay uh, a good amount. But let's face it, the very vast majority of outdoor industry um related projects, whether it's a hunting show or whatever, uh, pay next to nothing. I, I know count, I know guys who literally have filmed with big name people for $150 a day and not any pay on travel days and had to literally pay for their own travel um, just so they could quote, get their foot in the door, but they do that constantly. And, and the show will just shuffle them out. Like once that person's finally ready to move up in price, they'll find the next guy to do it at that price. And that's just really hard. And even if you get up to the $500 a day range, that's still really not that much. I mean, if you have invested in your business and you have $50,000, $60,000 worth of camera equipment, they if they know you have it, they expect you to bring it. When you go film for a hunting show, for example, you're expected as a contractor, they expect you to bring all your cameras, your lenses, your tripods, your sliders, your gimbals, your drone, you name it. Like they, they expect you to bring that because they want to use all of it. Um, but they don't change the rates. They'd still, you know, even if you get 350 to 500 a day, how much is that really? And the reality is, is that in the hunting space, they, um, they, they just don't pay what you can get paid in other industries. And so it just becomes really hard to recoup your investment, if that makes sense. And then there are some other things about it as well um, that have to do with the economics. Like a lot of times they only want to pay half day pay on travel day. Um, a lot of times they don't want to sign a contract. They don't feel like there's a need to sign a contract. Even if you're a contractor, they just want to pay you and, and, and then they often won't want to pay deposits either. So they just expect you to show up for very little pay, no deposit, no contract, and just expect that they will pay you um, after it's all over and they'll give you, you know, maybe 350 to 500 a day with half day pay on travel day. And they'll give you that when it's over with um, on their own time. And sometimes you may not get paid for four or five weeks, maybe even I know of guys who go eight weeks before they get their checks for contract jobs. And man, that's really, really hard. And, and the thing is, is that's, that's not how it is in other industries and uh, other other video related work. Um, just, just look at the wedding industry. I don't touch the wedding industry. Uh, my wife is in the wedding industry. I'm not. I've never filmed a wedding in my life. I just now photographed uh, as a second shooter a wedding for my wife because she really needed someone. I was there. So um, I was going to off. Obviously, I'm going to help my wife out. Um, but that's like the only thing I've ever done. Wedding stuff just isn't my thing. But just look at the wedding industry, for example. Um, wedding videographers, for instance, will make 
I mean, it's you can make anywhere from thirty five hundred to I know some people that make thirteen thousand um, dollars, depending on what you're doing um, and the level you're at. But to go in and film a wedding and then crush out and edit, and you're making way more per day doing that. And um, in the wedding industry, you have contracts, you get deposits, and you usually get uh, the rest of the money before the wedding actually happens. And and you look at the business world, it's very similar. I just signed my second job for eBay um, just a, a week or so ago. And you know, eBay pays deposits and they sign contracts and they pay very timely. And they are, um, I'm expected to do a certain thing for them, but they're also expected to do a certain thing uh, for me. And any other out, uh, non-outdoor work that I do, that's the way it is. Contracts, deposits, um, and good payments. And it just does not exist that way in the outdoor world. You're expected to bring all this equipment and you are just you just get what you get and you get it when you get it type of thing and you just have to go all solely off of a handshake and uh, maybe you've never been burned i know some guys who have never been burned but i have and it's not fun and i i don't take a single project that doesn't give me a deposit and a contract um i just won't do it but in the outdoor world that's super foreign people look at you and they they almost get mad like why are you asking me for a deposit do you not trust me <laughs> well no it's just simple business practice, but that's a struggle I face in the outdoor world. Um, and in the outdoor space, look at how much more time you work compared to non-outdoor projects. You're, you're getting up at like four in the morning and you may not go to bed until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. You're working oftentimes 18 hour days, sometimes longer, and you might do that for a full week. Maybe you, you fly out one day uh, to go to another state and you have all the stress of flying. You have to bring all your equipment, travel with all of it. All of it has to be insured because if something happens, you're screwed. So you're having to also pay for insurance. And you have to pray your stuff makes it there because you just don't want to have to deal with it not making it there. And then all the stress that goes in going through an airport with all of it, flying it all, etc. Get to where you're going, film for like five days, 18 hour days or longer, and then do the whole thing over again to fly home. And you do all that 18 hour days with half day pay on travel, which is like the most stressful day of all. <laughs> and no deposit, no contract. And maybe, maybe you can get 500 a day, maybe 750. I've been able to get that in some outdoor projects. Maybe you can get 750, but I mean, guys, it's just so hard. It's so hard. And if you look at the non-outdoor world, it's totally, totally different. Um, some other struggles I've had with the outdoor world uh, are outdoor personalities. Um, there are some great outdoor personalities. Um, but then there are some outdoor personalities that are really hard to be around. Um, there's a lot of arrogance in the hunting world. My mom used to always say this. She, she always said that um, hunting brought out the worst in people. And I never really understood what she was getting at uh, until I got in the TV world. And it, oh my gosh, does it ever? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to go far to see what some outdoor TV people have done that has been made well known and in the news. And you probably have heard stories from other people, but there's a lot of really not so pleasant outdoor personalities out there, people that are uh, brutal to the people they're around. And unless you're in their circle, you're nothing but uh, just a simple servant to them, you know? Um, and it's just hard. And it's hard to work with people in the outdoor world sometimes that um, maybe they don't know anything about videography at all, but they just assume that they're the world's greatest videographer and they'll tell you to do something that maybe doesn't make sense. And if you question them, um, man, 
doesn't go well. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've had that experience, but I know me and numerous, numerous other people um, that I've, I've ran across and talked to over the years have ran into that. Um, it's just some outdoor personalities, and again, this isn't all of them, but some outdoor personalities is just so ego-driven. And I think as, as men, we fall um, susceptible to that because in the hunting world, a lot of times it's about trying to make sure that you shoot a big deer because someone else shot a big deer. And then it becomes less about uh, the experience and more about making sure your Facebook uh, picture of you and your buck is just as good, if not better than someone else's uh, picture of them and their buck. And then you fall in this trap and like the outdoor world is like a breeding ground for that. It's a breeding ground for competitiveness. It's a breeding ground for egos. It's a breeding ground for, um, being unethical in order to get ahead. I mean, how many TV people do you know, or even non-TV people, but maybe just people that are well-known in the outdoor industry that do really shady things like shoot more deer than they're supposed to, or shoot uh, an illegal deer or whatever, just to have the content or just to have better content or for whatever reason. I've seen some things that really have made me sick over the years being in the outdoor world. I've had some stuff I literally walked away from because it was so unethical. Um, because guys, I'll tell you, I love hunting, but I also love animals. Animals, uh, I care about them. I care a lot about them. In fact, I'll argue with anybody, any non-hunter I argue with, I'll tell them I, I probably love animals more than you do. Um, hunting has a role in wildlife management to many, many degrees, whether it's uh, financially or habitat management or whatever. There's so many roles that hunting plays. And so I love to take part in that. I love the pursuit. I love hunting animals, but it's also, um, and you're taking something's life, you know, and at the end of the day, like I care about that. But how many outdoor people do you know, just to get cool content, um, will try to sling an arrow a hundred yards at an antelope that they know they probably can't hit end up hitting it in the rear, but they just did it because they need to get one down for content or their sponsors or whatever. And I have a hard time with that. Um, and over the years, I've become uh, more and more uh, aware of how unethical hunting in general has become. And it's really, it, it kills me because what are we teaching our kids? What are we teaching um, people who don't hunt? Where are we showing uh, them? We're not we're not, <laughs> we don't have a really good case for ourselves and what we do uh, when we go out and do unethical things. Another example, I do a lot of marketing for hunting outfits, but I'll be honest, like I'm going to come out and say it to you guys in the filming of Josh page. I have, I struggle with marketing high fence uh, places. And in Texas, there's a lot of them, Texas, Oklahoma, that whole area. I've done countless outdoor projects for high fence places to help market them. And I, I still do, but I'm struggling more now than I ever have before because it just, I end up just feeling like the things that they do, a lot of times I just, I, I feel like they just, it just isn't right. You know, uh, when you go out and you sit in a blind and you have deer that, um, <laughs> follow you around. I literally see this deer will walk up to your ATV to feed off the back and you're like, shoo, get away. And then you go sit in a blind and they come moseying out, see what you're up to. And then you shoot it, you know, or shoot a deer with a tag in its ear. Like, God, that's coming really hard for me. Um, and just in the high fence world, like 
they always seem to try to, people always seem to try to justify it. Ah, it's still, you know, it's still hunting and it's still really difficult and all this stuff, but it's not. I, I only high fence hunt I've ever been on that was a challenge was an elk hunt in New Mexico. And the only reason it was a challenge was because it was 2,000 acres wrapped around a mountain and the elk knew where we were at all times. So they were just always were opposite of where we were. <laughs> I mean, the reality is, is it's just, it's just hard to be around. And the deeper I get, get into outdoor filming, the more exposed I get to things that I just feel are just unethical. Um, I, I, it's just something I struggle with so much anymore. And then I have to ask myself questions like, how am I, why am I promoting these, these things? How am I promoting these things? When someone goes out, for instance, and uh, shoots an, an, an elk with a rifle, but then does their cutaways with a handgun to promote a handgun sponsor, and then you go to a, a trade show and someone walks up to that person and says, man, I saw that episode of you shooting that elk with a handgun, and that person goes in and talks about how great it was, how great the handgun was, blah, 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 but you know that isn't what went down. Um, it's just hard for me really hard for me. So there are things that I just really have struggled with, with the outdoor world, with outdoor personalities, with high fence ranches, um, things like that. I just feel like hunting is starting to become a breeding ground for unethical behavior. And uh, we promote things that I think um, aren't what hunting used to and should be about, which is just the journey of going out and being out in the woods and experiencing the pursuit of an animal that you may or may not get. Like I may not kill this 150 inch deer, or this 160 inch deer on this uh, draw hunt I'm on, but dude, I'm having a blast. I'm up here hunting my butt off with the flu. <laughs> I'm chasing after these deer. I got to see two true giants on public land in Texas. I mean, come on, like that's, I mean, I, I go home from that after the season ends on Sunday. If I don't shoot one of those bucks or even get another doe to even get a buck tag, I still have had the experience of a lifetime. And so that's where I struggle. Like I want to film and I want to be in the outdoor world. But when you're in that outdoor world, what I just described to you doesn't usually happen, does it? Yes. Um, but not as often as it should. And so those are just things I struggle with. I struggle with it economically. I struggle with uh, personalities. I struggle with the ethics of it. It's just so much in the outdoor space that becomes really hard uh, for me to deal with. Um, but I still love traveling. I still love being in the outdoor space. I still love filming. So what do you do? You know, what do you do? How do you, how do you still have those two passions and how can you still do them both? Should you do them together or not? And that's been a, a struggle I've been trying to figure out. And so about five years ago, uh, five years ago this July, when I launched Rustic River Media, I really started churning away from the outdoor space. And I still, if you follow me, I still obviously do outdoor work, but my focus has shifted dramatically. Um, the outdoor work I do today is outfitter marketing. Um, a, a lot of it's free range, like all the Alaska stuff, obviously, the bear hunts, the goat hunts, all that stuff, that's hardcore. Um, that's all great, and that's all, I do a lot of work for a Parker Guide service, whether it's photography or video. Um, and so like that's an example. I do some non, uh, some more high fence stuff. I do still do some high fence marketing. Um, as, like I said, it's still something I'm trying to figure out, it's still something I'm struggling with. Uh, but uh, at the moment, I still do uh, high fence marketing for outfitters. And I, uh, I do those outfitter marketing videos because I usually get to do them on my own terms. There's no host to deal with. There's contracts. They pay what I ask. Um, all the economics of it makes sense. And 
I, uh, I just kind of go in, design a project with the client and execute said project. And it, it goes uh, exactly the way my non-outdoor projects would go. Uh, just it's an outdoor project. So that's like an example. I do marketing for hunting products or services. Like for instance, I have a company I'm uh, getting ready to do some work for that's coming out with a really great new hunting blind. I do um, hunting, uh, hunting, um, booking agencies. I do a marketing for them, marketing for different things like that. Um, so th that's another outdoor thing I do. And again, it's because I find clients that will pay the, the, the price I need. Uh, so economically it makes sense. And I have no ethical issues with any of that stuff. Um, and then I do uh, short films for various people. Um, whether it's a, a company or an individual or whatever, um, I've done quite a bit of short films and when I went to Pakistan and Mongolia and one of my last trips to Mexico, those were all short film projects. Those were a blast. And, uh, again, they, they kind of pay what I need to make in order to pay off my equipment and make, you know, to make it economically make sense. And, uh, I haven't had too many ethical problems with that. No, I'm sure I'll run into it, but so far it's been uh, pretty good. So that's how I've been able to do outdoor related stuff that, um, allows me to still be in the outdoor space, but without doing some of the things I was doing when I was doing uh, contract work for hunting shows and things like that. Um, and then I also do personal projects. I haven't done one in a while, but I have been known and will uh, continue at some point to do personal outdoor projects. And that's a way that I've found uh, to be able to still video in the outdoor world. Um, but really what I do more than anything now, and this is kind of what I've been working towards over the last five years, is doing as many non-outdoor projects as I can because they pay a lot better and be able to um, take the extra time and money that I make off of those and the extra time that I have in my, have in my schedule because you don't work as much and the extra money I make and be able to go do, go do my own hunting things. Um, and I use one passion to open up a door for another one. For example, um, a lot of the non-outdoor projects I do, I can make literally in two days time working two eight hour days. I can make what I could make, um, and, or what I would make in a hunting world working seven days, uh, seven 18 hour days and having to fly somewhere and fly back. Like think about that. I could do an outdoor project that may be five days of filming, two days of traveling. So I have to fly somewhere, film five days for 18 hours each day and then fly home. And they would, I would have to do that, do five 18-hour days with two days of traveling in order to make what I can make in two eight-hour days working here locally. You see what I mean? Like, <laughs> So to me, when I look at the two side by side, it makes way more sense to do the non-outdoor project and make just as much money in two days as I would in seven days and spend the rest of that time <laughs> going hunting for myself or do two projects take four days of my time, make twice as much money in less than a week, have more money in my pocket to buy hunting gear with or help fund a public land hunt and then go hunting. You see what I mean? Like, so what I do now and how I've been able to cope with my, my love for both and uh, finding a way to do both um, is I, I, I use my video passion to create opportunities in the non-outdoor world that allowed me to make the money and have the time in my pocket to be able to go do the things I want to do 
uh, for myself in the outdoor world. And that's kind of where I live today. And so this year, for example, in 2015, it's been five years since I launched Rustic River Media. And I, because uh, I've been in the video world since 2010, 2011-ish. Um, but this year, it took me a long time to get to this point. But this year, I have, uh, I've had so much more free time and so much less stress in my life that I've been able to do all these hunts. I can't tell you the last time I went on three public land hunts like this. I literally, I was probably back when I was in college. I don't think since I left in 2014, when I left college, I don't think that I have hunted more than four or five days a season um, at any one season in the last five or six years. But this year I've hunted like, I don't know, I can't even count the days I've hunted so much. It's incredible. And it totally brought that joy back in my life. And so now I get to do both of the things that I love to do. Um, and sometimes I get to, they overlap. Um, sometimes I still get to do outdoor video stuff, uh, but it's short films, product service, uh, marketing videos, and uh, outfitter marketing. Uh, and so sometimes they do overlap, but then the rest of the time I just, I follow each passion separately and use one passion to fund the other. And I feel like that has just opened up so many more doors for me. I feel better about myself ethically. I don't feel like I'm taking part in a lot of the things that I just have a hard time agreeing with. And now I have time to maybe make some personal projects that talk about those things that maybe I don't agree with, if that makes sense. And those are some of the things that I'm looking at maybe doing for myself um, moving forward. So I guess like to wrap this up, I, I have these two things that I, that I love to do. And basically what I've learned to do is I learned to value myself so that I could enjoy my two passions second. Had I not have valued myself and I kept doing these 18-hour days for hardly any pay things um, just so I could be in the outdoor with a camera, I would, I would lose my love for those two passions. And I started to at one point because I got burnt out. But once I learned to value myself, I moved into the non-outdoor space mainly um, so that I could value myself first and then still have my two passions and be able to afford to do them second, if that makes sense. And that's pretty much where I am today. And this has been a great year for me and I look forward to doing more hunting next year. I've got more hunts I'm gonna apply for. I'm gonna do it all over again. I'm excited to see what I get drawn for. And even if I don't get drawn, I'll still find ways to go hunting, whether it's uh, private land I can maybe find a way to get access to or, or public land hunts that you don't have to be drawn for. Um, and maybe, just maybe, I'll film some of those. Guys, I appreciate your time and listening to this podcast. If you have felt like any of what I talked about today hits home with you, let me know. Uh, write in the comments on um, the Filming with Josh page about your experience in the outdoor world. Maybe you have different experiences than me. Maybe you have similar experiences. Um, if so, let us know. Let's talk about it. Let's create a discussion that talks about filming in the outdoors. And this is a great opportunity to do it. So do it on the Filming with Josh Facebook group. Go on there. If you're not a member, go on and join it. Uh, and if you are already a member, then go on and go ahead and let's, let's start that discussion. I think it's a discussion worth having. Um, I appreciate your time and listening to this podcast. I know it's been a while since I've done one, but I've been busy, guys. I've been working my tail off and I've been hunting and I'm, I'm not going to complain about that. But I look forward to 2020. That's tomorrow. I can't wait to get there and see what this year has to bring. And I can't wait to continue leading the Filming with Josh Facebook group and the Filming with Josh 
podcast. I'll see you guys in the new year. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.